Well, good morning. Good Easter morning. Amen? Hey, man, what a great day. Hey, real quick, uh, before I get into sermon content, I got to do something really awkward, but I have to do something really awkward because we have one of those good problems. So what I need is for everybody to scooch this way. All right, so if you're sitting on the edges and there are seats next to you in the middle, I need you to move towards the middle on, on all sides. So everybody move towards the middle. We'll free up the stuff on the outside. We ran out of seats. Amen? Like we, and we can clap for running out of seats at Easter. Now, the chances are that we ran out of seats today, not because it's Easter, but because a lot of you saw what we were going to be talking about today and said, hey, I got to go check that out because I have had some bad church experiences, which is what we've been talking. We talked about it last week, and we're going to talk about it again today. The My Bad Church Experience. Now, last week, if you were here, we talked about what people kind of tagged as the number one problem within the church, the number one reason that people often give for, for, for not coming to churches. But I, that place is full of hypocrites, right? Like I don't, I don't want to go. They're all a bunch of hypocrites, and so they, they, so they don't come. And oftentimes, the church does a lot to perpetuate that hypocrisy, and so people come, and they do have a bad church experience. If you weren't with us last week, I'd encourage you to go to our website and uh, check out the podcast. Today, I want to talk about when we have bad church experiences as it pertains to unmet expectations. Now, when I was growing up uh, as a little kid, real, real little kid, um, my, my parents are divorced, and so I got to do Christmas on, 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 on two different occasions. I got to do Christmas with, with mom's side and Christmas with, with dad's side. Um, and I know this is Easter, and I'm talking about Christmas, but just hang on because I'm going somewhere with this. All right, so on my dad's side, for a long, long, long time, I was the only kid I didn't, have, I didn't have any cousins until, you know, maybe 10-something years later. So as a 10-year-old kid, I'm the only kid at Christmas up until age 10. And so when I would go to Dad's side of the family, we would meet at my grandparents' house. And I don't know about you as a kid, but I loved Christmas presents. Anybody ever met a kid that didn't love Christmas presents? I mean, I was just kind of par for the course. Like, every kid loves Christmas. I'm the same way. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a gift shaker, right? I used to... I shake it to try and figure out what was in it. My parents resulted to, to putting other things in my gifts that rattled or shake or that were heavy or whatever because just to kind of throw me off. Because I get all jacked up about some Christmas gifts because I'm a kid and I love Christmas gifts. Now, when I would go to my grandmother's house or my grandparents' house for Christmas on dad's side, we, we had a rule that we, we didn't open any gifts until after we ate. For a kid, man, this is torture. Like, I, I walk in on Christmas morning, and there's gifts everywhere. Lots of them got my name on it because I'm the only kid, and people love to spoil kids. We should, right? So like, I, I, lots of gifts with my name on it, and I'd go, and they were pretty and got bright bows on them. And, you know, kids, I, I'm easily distracted. That's the ADD thing. I love shiny stuff. And, like, there's all these shiny things that got my name on them, and I'm super Super excited about, I can't wait to get in to those gifts. I just know that there's some wonderful goodness on the inside. Now, now here's the problem. And my, my uncle is here, and I told him last week that I was going to pick on him today because I am. Because for a long, long, long time as a child, or for a season, I guess, as a child, he was my least favorite uncle. 
for one reason and one reason only. He can't get out of bed. And so every we can't eat until everybody gets there and everybody isn't there until my Uncle Jamie shows up and Uncle Jamie sleeps till one, two, three, like something, I don't know, like he just sleeps. And so for a kid, I got all these gifts with my name on them under the tree, can't open those until we eat, can't eat until Jamie gets here and Jamie is never gonna get here. Can you imagine the anguish? I mean, come on, feel me for a minute. You, you get it, right? But finally, finally, eventually he would come. They'd show up, and we'd eat as fast as I could possibly eat, right? We'd read the Christmas story, and then the time was there. I would finally get to just tear in to this gift that I've been eyeballing, I've been shaking it, and I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. It's got my name on it and a shiny bow, and I can't wait to see what somebody got me. And it was, it was socks. Well, what's a 10-year-old kid supposed to do with socks? I mean, the... The, the, the turmoil that that does to a child. Don't do that to kids. All the anticipation. All the expectation. I can't wait. I had to wait on Uncle Jamie and Aunt Debbie to show up. And finally it's here and I get socks. Ah, what a horrible dashing of dreams and expectations. Now, that was true for me as a kid. But for a lot of you, that was your expectations that weren't met as it pertains to church. Some of you are here because at another church, you had some expectations something that you were looking for, something that you desired, something that you were after. There was maybe even an anticipation about what you were going to receive when you got there, what you were going to hear and feel and experience and how things were going to change. And, and your expectations were a lot like mine on Christmas morning getting socks. All the buildup, all the expectation, only for something to not live up or meet your expectations. Some of you, when you came here for the first time, had some unmet expectations. Yeah, maybe, I mean, you, maybe you didn't know a whole lot about the church or whatever. And for whatever reason, you, know, you showed up and was like, okay, I'm going to go to church. Got to pick a church. Heard some cool stuff about that church. Going to go check out that church. But you didn't know what to expect. And so you got up on Sunday morning, put on your suit and tie or your lovely, long, full-length dress and walked in only to find out that you were a bit overdressed. We dress a little more casually, and if you're in a suit and tie, man, we're so glad that you're here. No, don't, don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm wearing a tie. I mean, come on. But we're, we're glad you're here, but typically we dress a little more casually. The music was a little too loud. And then some weird kind of younger for pastor guys got up to speak, and you're like, these guys are too young to know anything, and most of the time that's kind of right, but... So you, just, you didn't really know what to expect, but for some reason, you stuck around. 
There, there was something here that, that kind of kept you coming back. That you, that there was something you could feel or maybe something you couldn't quite put your finger on. But there was a reason that you just continued to kind of come back and, and kind of come back. And now the, the, the benefit of being part of, of this church is a, is a great value to you. I know that that's some of your stories because I've talked to you. And some of you are here after your expectations were unmet. You still decided to come back and you're, and you're still here. And as a result, there's, there's value in why you come. But for some of us in the room, your, your problem or issue is much wider, much deeper, and much stronger than the unmet expectations of a church. I believe that some of you here have unmet expectations of Jesus. Which is a, a whole different level of disappointment, if we're being honest. That maybe you, you believe that when I, when I give my life to Jesus, that things were going to turn around for me. That things were going to get better. And so you gave your life to Jesus and, and things didn't. Maybe you surrendered your marriage to Jesus, but the marriage kept failing. Or, or maybe you, you submitted your finances to Jesus, but the creditors kept calling. Maybe you sur- surrendered your kids to Jesus, but they continued to stray away. And for whatever reason, you gave your life to Jesus, and now because of the circumstances and because of the expectations that you had about what Jesus would do in your marriage or your finances or your life or your job or your business or whatever, because of unmixed expectations, you've given your life to Jesus, and now you'd kind of like to have it back. This morning, what I want us to realize and what I want us to see is that as we look through the pages of Scripture, there's great hope to be found when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. I did some research this week and found out that the number one reason that people give for going to church is because something bad happened. They were just kind of cruising along through life, and so they, they made the decision that maybe the church has something to do. Maybe Jesus could do something with this horrible condition or situation that I find myself in. And so as a result of calamity in their life, they turn and come to the church. You know what's ironic? That the number one reason that people give for coming to church also the number one reason that people give for leaving the church. Like I gave my life to Jesus and then something bad happened. And I just had this thought that it wasn't real. I I really expected that when I turned my life over to Jesus that something good would happen and instead something good happened, something bad happened. This church stuff isn't for me. And then they bail. And I believe that some of you this morning may be thinking about bailing on Jesus yourselves. I tried the church thing. I tried the Jesus stuff, and it just didn't work. Here's what I want you to do. Don't give up. Stick around. 
Because what I see as I read through the pages of Scripture is that there are repeated examples, time after time after time, where after somebody has their expectations totally destroyed, that they're often the ones that go on to do the greatest things for God and his kingdom. Actually, the earliest followers of Jesus, they had some pretty high expectations of him. That they had these tremendous expectations of this king that was coming. All throughout the Old Testament and with the prophets and even through oral tradition, there was this this teaching and this belief that one day a Messiah would come. Messiah being the one who, who saves, who sets free. And the prophecy said that this one who would come, this Messiah, that he would set captives free, that he would establish a kingdom on earth of which he would rule and the Jews would be his people. Now, this is pretty good news for the Jews. Because they have been in slavery for over 400 years. And the idea of a coming king who would establish his kingdom and of which they would be his people sounded pretty good to a bunch of slaves. So to say that they eagerly anticipated the coming of the Messiah is a huge understatement. And then Jesus shows up. He begins to do some miracles. There's this groundswell of popularity that begins to take place. Jesus becomes a local celebrity and, and, and word about him tends to, to spread and get out. And people all over the place are beginning to hear about this one who does incredible things. And for Jesus' followers, the disciples, they were all starting to have some thoughts about maybe it's him. Maybe this is the one. Could it be? And Jesus invites the conversation about who he really is. In Matthew chapter 16, if you have your Bibles, or if you want to look with us on the screen or on Version Live, we've got it there also. Matthew chapter 16. And beginning in verse 13, Jesus begins a conversation with his disciples, and this is what he says. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? I love that Jesus refers to himself in the third person. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And Jesus makes it really personal. Okay, that's who other people say I am. And he asked them this question in verse 15. Then he asked them, who do you say I am? For those of us in the room, this is the most important question that we'll ever have to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? In this situation, in this conversation with these specific people, It was an extremely important question to them because there was something on the minds of all of them and none of them were going to be brave enough to say it. They were all thinking it, but none of them said, could he be? Could it be this Messiah? The one that's going to set captives free and establish a king? I mean, could could it really be him? 
one of my favorite people in all of Scripture is the Apostle Peter. Because this dude was bold, and he would say what everybody else was thinking, even when they were too scared to say it, which is exactly what Peter does in the very next verse, verse 16. I, I just kind of see Peter like standing up in the middle like, Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And all of a sudden, it's out. It's on the table. All the disciples are looking at Jesus to see if he's going to affirm what Peter said or if he's going to reject what Peter said. Because in this moment, he would be taking on himself the, all of the expectations that they had for the coming Messiah. And this is what Jesus says, verse 16 or 17. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. It's Peter's other name. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the powers of hell will not conquer it. Don't miss the enormity of this moment. Jesus just confirmed what Peter offered as his answer to who Jesus was. Jesus said, yes, I am the Messiah. There were 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah that would come. They had been in slavery for 400 years. And Jesus just told them, I'm the one that's come to set captives free and establish a kingdom on the earth. I mean, can you, can you imagine the disciples' excitement? I mean, can you get this? And this is pretty, like, all of us, and they're Jesus' boys. Like, this is like, they're the top 12. If Jesus is going to be king, and he's going to establish a kingdom, they're already in tight with the dude that's going to be king. In my mind, these dudes were kind of immature. Some of them were even teenagers when Jesus called them. I see them getting real excited. Like, oh, yeah, it's about to go down. Like, I'm going to, what, what are you going to name your state? I know what I'm, I'm going to call mine Johnsville. Like, I just, I just, I just kind of see these guys having this conversation about how excited they are that Jesus is the one that they've been anticipating. And they've got all these expectations of grandeur, all the things that Jesus is going to do, all the things that he's going to set up. And they are so tight with him, they can't wait to see what Jesus is going to do. And then Jesus does something really strange in verse 20. He tells them to keep it a secret. You can't tell anybody. Yes, I am the Messiah, but you can't tell anybody. What? I mean, come on, we've been waiting. I mean, come on, let us, we, we got we to gotta put together a marketing campaign. We got to get you in front of the people so they can see you, so they can know you. We got you know, to get the beard shaved a little bit, trim it up. We got to make you look good. You're going to be king. No, no, you can't tell anybody. Because here's what Jesus knew. That they would launch that campaign to try and shoot him to the throne. But Jesus had other plans. Much, much different plans. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes on to, to lay out his plan for them. Like he said, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem. And there I'm, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be put on trial. I'm going to suffer 
at the hands of the Romans and the officials. And I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to come back to life. But we're going to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. And, and, and Peter takes off again, right? I, just, I, I love this guy, man. Like, he just, he just he reminds me so much. Peter, no way, Jesus. As a matter of fact, one version of the scripture says that Peter reprimanded Jesus. You getting that picture? He just told Jesus, hey, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, but let me tell you something, Jesus. It ain't going to go down like that. I'm not going to let you be arrested. I'm not going to let any harm come. We're, we're going to stop anybody who tries to arrest you or kill you or do you any kind of harm because you're the Messiah and you got to be king. And you can't be a very good king if you're dead, Jesus. So we're not going to let anything happen to you. And I love Jesus' response. This is what he says. Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. This is totally not what Peter expected. I mean, just a few verses ago, Peter was the rock on which Jesus was going to build his church. And a few, laters, a few verses later, he's Satan. That is a tremendous fall from grace. The rock on which the church is going to be built to get away from me, Satan. Right? I mean, you following this? Peter is dumbfounded. Along with the rest of this, they're stunned. Like, what in the world is going on? Like, you just told us you're going to be the Messiah. Now Peter's Satan because he doesn't want you to die. Like, I don't, I, we're so confused. But then it happened, just like Jesus said that it would. They go to Jerusalem. Judas switches teams, takes a payout, betrays Jesus. And Judas and a large group of Roman officers show up to arrest Jesus. And they take him away to be put on trial. Can you put yourself in the place of the disciples in this story? All the expectations, 400 years of slavery, 300 prophecies, all all of this just got led away in chains. But, 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 but. And their expectations were crushed. Their dreams dashed and destroyed. What happens in that moment? What now? This is how Mark records it in his gospel. The same story, Mark chapter 14, verse 50. says, then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. I would argue that they left him for legitimate human reasons. Makes sense to me? I get it. We had expectations. We, we, we thought this is how it was going to be. It was supposed to all be good with Jesus, and he just got led away to be killed. Now what do we do? But Peter kind of stuck around. 
as we continue to read through the, the scriptures, we see Peter show up and he's, he's in the crowd observing what goes on. Peter watches Jesus carry his cross, watches the trial, watches the beatings. And on three different occasions, and Jesus told him this would happen, but on three different occasions, somebody comes up to Peter and says, hey, aren't you the dude that hangs out with the guy that's being beaten and on the cross? No, that's not, not me. I don't know that guy. Get away from me. Three different times, Peter cowers like a middle school girl. Not, not me. No, 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 no. Not, that's not me. Get away from me. I, that's not true. I don't know him. Three times. But he, but he kind of hangs around. And he sees Jesus carry his cross up this hill. And once they reach the top of this, this hill, he sees Jesus strapped to a cross, nails driven through his hands and his feet. And they see him raised up on a cross, half naked and beaten and bleeding, to be mocked and disgraced before the crowd of people that were there to watch it. Peter sees all of this just because he kind of hung around. I kind of get this this feeling or this this idea that maybe something in Peter said, this isn't the end. He ran away with the rest of the disciples, but he, but he just kind of kept hanging around, almost like he was waiting to see if maybe something would come of this. The Bible goes on to tell us that three days later, Mary goes to the tomb with spices that she and some other women had prepared to, to kind of embalm the body was the process back then and And she comes running back to where the disciples are hiding because they ran away scared. She comes, she tells them that, hey, Jesus isn't in the tomb. And all of them look at each other confused and and, and baffled. And and, and Peter says that he he runs to the tomb and, and he gets there only to find that it's empty, that there is nobody there, that Jesus is gone. And all of a sudden, I just, I I don't mean, I don't want to read anything in the scripture. I'm just trying to put myself in, 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 in Peter's mind where he says, maybe it was true. I mean, everything that has happened, it happened just like he said that it would. And he told us that he was going to be resurrected and now there's nobody here. And all of a sudden, everything that Peter had stuck around to see is beginning to change something within him. His expectations for what Jesus was going to do, what Jesus was going to do in the city, what Jesus was going to do in him, what Jesus was going to do, all of his expectations have been destroyed. It couldn't have gone any more differently Then it went in Peter's mind. Like everything that he expected had been totally destroyed. But here's what Peter and the other disciples came to realize after Jesus' resurrection. That in place of an earthly king, they got a resurrected savior. And if there's one thing that's better than than an earthly king, it's a resurrected savior. Because earthly kings come and go. But there is only one who did and who could defeat death, conquer the grave, and raise himself back to life for the forgiveness of sins of all mankind. There's only one who could, and there's only one who did, and he did. 
Jesus absolutely failed to meet Peter's expectations. But boy, he sure exceeded them, didn't he? If you're taking notes today, you might want to write that down as as a thought to take home with you today, that Jesus will often fail to meet your expectations. And Jesus may not meet your expectations only because he exceeds them. After Jesus was resurrected, the book of Acts tells us that he ascended into heaven. And Peter and some of the other apostles, they began to to preach about Jesus, the resurrected living Savior. They're empowered. They're bold and courageous with what they teach. And one day when walking past the gate... Peter and John, one of the other disciples, noticed this man who's been crippled for over 40 years. And the guy asks him for some money. Peter looks at the guy and says, I don't don't have any money to give you. But I got something better. You want to talk about unmet expectations? Hey, man, can I get a couple of bucks? Peter says, nah, you can't have a couple of bucks. Let me tell you what you can have. You can walk, get up. And the man did hop to his feet says that he jumped. I would too if I'd been crippled for 40 years and somebody gave me the ability to walk. I would jump. I would run. I would dance and I don't dance. This guy is overjoyed. And people begin to take notice, kind of like when Jesus did miracles. People begin to take notice and there begins to be this this stir, this groundswell of, of chatter and talk kind of flooding through the people and the religious leaders. The same ones that were offended by what Jesus taught began to take notice of the popularity that's that's happening and the the buzz that's taking place because this man was healed. So what do they do? The same thing they do with Jesus. They they go and they get Peter and John and they put them on trial. And here's what they want to know. How'd you heal that guy? This is the question that they ask. Acts chapter 4 verse 7 It says, they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Now, before we read on, think back with me to post-resurrection or pre-resurrection Peter. Do you remember? Scared little middle school girl. No, I don't know him. I I I don't have anything to do with him. Nope, not me. Hiding ran away, deserted. Remember all those words in the scriptures? All defining Peter and the other disciples' actions. You got that picture in your head? Now, Peter standing before the same council that convicted and crucified Jesus. The same people who had the power to lead men to the cross. Look at his response in verse 10 of Acts chapter 4. And allow me to read my attitude into Peter's response because I think I identify with Peter a little bit in this, so let's let's, let's do this together. You want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all you and to all people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus 
is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that the builders rejected, that's y'all, have now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That's a long way away from scared little middle school girl Peter. Don't ask, no, I don't know him. Then let me tell you who he is. I'll tell you. He's the only one that can save mankind. He's the only one that can do what he did. There's no other name under heaven by which we're going to be saved. Not you, not your books, not your rules, and not your laws. Only Jesus. And if I could be so bold as to, I, I, I try very carefully not to read stuff in the scripture, but in my mind, I just, I see Peter's thought, daring them to put him to death alongside Jesus. These are the same men that had the power to do it. And I just, I just feel like Peter would dare, come on, crucify me, I don't care. I've seen too much. I've had my expectations blown out of the water only to be exceeded. There's too much information for me to go back to that scared little kid that I was. Jesus is too much for that. I've seen too much. I've heard too much. I've experienced too much to go back. So you want to crucify me? Bring it on. Because there's only one name under heaven that I got to submit to. And it's not you, Caiaphas. Jesus. If Peter could be here to preach this message, wouldn't that be awesome? I'd kind of like to hear a sermon by Peter. On two different occasions in the book of Acts, Peter preaches and three or 5,000 people got saved. That's pretty awesome. I'd kind of like for Peter to come preach, but I, I don't think he's coming. But but if he did, I think this would be the main point to his message. Don't give up. Don't give up. Jesus isn't done yet. See, I, I, I don't know what expectations you have for Jesus. I don't know what you want him to do or wanted him to do. You know, maybe that marriage that was failing when you gave your life to Jesus, maybe it failed. And you're now separated or divorced. Maybe that kid never came home. Maybe those finances never improved. I don't know what expectations you feel like Jesus hasn't fulfilled in your life. This is what I do know. Jesus is really good at shattering expectations. Only to exceed them. There's something that God has for your life that you can't and will never be able to see. And you'll definitely never see it if you quit now. The expectations that you have for Jesus, they don't amount to a whole lot in the scope of what it is that God has the ability to see in and through and for our lives. The Apostle Paul 
in writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, has something pretty powerful to say about the power of God within us if we don't give up. If we, if we just stick it out, cling to whatever we got to cling to that, that has Jesus in mind, however we got to cling to Jesus, we do. If we just, if we just stick around. This is what Paul says about the power at work within us. I, I didn't put it on the screen, so here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to read it. I want you to listen. I want you to hear how Paul describes the power that is working within us and the abilities that it has. This is what he says, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now all glory to God who is able. Can we hang on to that for a minute? All glory goes to him. Why? Because he's able. He's the only one that can. He's able. Through his mighty power at work within us. To accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Did you get that? The power that is at work within us is able to do infinitely more. You get infinitely, right? Like no end to it. Completely far. Can't be any further. It is infinitely more. What God wants to do in your life is so infinitely more than anything you could think or ask. Here's what that means. Here's what it means. Think of best life ever. If you were to ask Jesus for that, he may or may not give it according to his will. We know that. But what he can give is infinitely more than anything you could ever ask for. Are you tracking with that? Does that land? Does that hit? I, I, I don't know. What expectations you walked in here with today? I don't know. I don't know what you want from church. I don't know what you want from Jesus. Here's what I know. Whatever you want, that the power that is at work within us when we have a relationship with God is infinitely more capable of providing for, some, uh, is capable of providing for us something that is infinitely more than we could even imagine. So here's what I want to do right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. And I want you to spend just a, just a second, just a moment, evaluating your expectations. What do I want? Nobody knows what you want better than you. What do you want? What do you, what do you want from Jesus? Has what you wanted from Jesus and his failure to meet your expectations kept you from surrendering to a relationship with him? Is it your expectations that have kept you out of church? 
Is it your expectations or unmet expectations that have kept you from beginning a relationship with your Savior? He is the Messiah. He did and does set captives free. He did fulfill the prophecies. He did establish a kingdom on earth of which his children are the inhabitants. His kingdom is now and is here. But what of your expectations? Here would be my challenge to you as you evaluate where it is that you stand with Christ and what you expect and what expectations have or haven't been met. This is what I ask you to do. Don't give up. Stick around. Come back. Jesus isn't done yet. If you're still here, there's still more that he wants to do. Stick around. Don't give up. Jesus isn't done yet. Father God, in this moment, God, I pray that you would touch, change lives. God, I for one am grateful that you have shattered my expectations. God, I never expected to stand on a stage and hold a Bible and preach. God, what a great opportunity and privilege it is to do so. God, you had not called all of us to be preachers, but God, you've, you've got something great in mind for all of us. If we'll just hang on, cling to you and the hope that's found in you. God, you are the only one who is, you're able, you're capable. You're the only one that's capable of doing anything that we ask. But God, your word tells us that, that what you will do, it may not meet our expectations. But God, what you have in store for us is infinitely better and more than we could ask or think. So God, that's what I want. And I know that on this side of heaven, I may never be able to see it or describe it. But God, you know. And so my faith and my trust is in what you want for my life. God, not what I want. I don't want my expectations because yours are better and not just better, infinitely better. God, that's what I want. Father, for the one here this morning that has walked away, maybe back today for the first time or the first time in a long time, God, I pray that they would make the decision in this moment to cling to the only one who is able the only one who can save, the only one who walked out of a grave, Lord, that they would cling to you. God, I don't know what expectations they had, but I know that whatever they want, that you're able and capable to give even more. So this morning, if, if you would say, God, I, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to live my life according to your plan because your plans always turn out better than mine. And even when I don't know your plan and when you don't meet my expectations that God, I'm going to trust anyway. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to hold on to see what Jesus does next. 
that's you, I'm just gonna ask you to tell God about that decision in this moment right now. God, I've given up. God, I've walked away. I've lived life according to my terms and my plans because I had some expectations that I don't feel like Jesus left up, that Jesus fulfilled. I feel let down by God. You can confess that to him. But I ask you to tell him in this moment, God, I, I trust you. I believe that your son Jesus did what he did, that he suffered and bled and died because he was following a higher plan, one that assures me of salvation when I put my faith and trust in him. And so God, that's what I want. I want you. I want your son. God, I want to live according to your expectations, not mine. And I thank you that Jesus lived. I thank you that he did suffer and die. I thank you that he is resurrected because a resurrected Savior is so much better than an earthly king. And that's why I'm putting my faith and trust in your son, Jesus. For it's in his name I pray. Amen and amen.